Welcome again to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're glad that you are with us. Uh, anybody connecting through our live stream or listening to it later or listening to the podcast, we're so glad that you've connected with us too. We are continuing our series in the book of James, one of the most practical books in all of Scripture. And each week we've been learning how to live out our faith, how faith works in everyday life, what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And today we are continuing that thought process with a, such a powerful part of what it means to walk by faith on a daily basis. And that is how James instructs us to have a powerful prayer life. At the end of the service today, we're going to have a time of prayer with our teachers and school administrators and, uh, and parents that are sending their kids off to school. We know what a big transition time that is. But prayer, undergirding everything we do, is more powerful than we give it credit for being. It really is. And so today we're going to be reminded of that. Uh, there were two churches uh, years ago up in rural Kentucky who in their county there was a distillery. And these churches were, were just really concerned about that distillery being in their county and the bad influence they felt like it was. And they were always trying to, to oppose it and get rid of it, uh, but nothing seemed to work. And, and finally it dawned on them, maybe we ought to really get together and pray about this. So the two churches set up a prayer meeting and they got together one night both congregations, and really just had a time of intense prayer about the concern they had over this distillery in their county. Well, during the prayer time, a storm came up, a really bad storm, thunder and lightning, and, and it just was shaking the building. And, and they found out after the service that lightning hit the distillery and burned it to the ground. Well, the distillery owner was upset because he went to his insurance company to try to get the insurance payment to replace his distillery. And they said, oh, no, that's not included in your policy. That is an act of God. He said, oh, really? You see, he had been an atheist. He'd been an atheist and, and made it very, very known, well-known in the community. He didn't believe in God at all. He said, you're telling me it's an act of God that destroyed it and you won't replace it? He said, yeah. So then he decided to sue the two churches for conspiring with God <laughs> to destroy his distillery. And the judge who was hearing the case opened the trial with this statement. I find one thing in this case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer, and the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying the very same power. They were trying to say we had nothing to do with the distillery burning down, even if they prayed that it would be removed from their county. It's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? Sometimes we say we believe in prayer and we say we believe in the power of prayer, but we live like we don't expect God to answer our prayers. Like we can't trust him or depend on him to answer our prayers. Now, I'm not saying he's always going to burn something down if you pray that he does that. That's not the point. The point is James is going to teach us what a great resource prayer is and then how we can be more effective and praying and having powerful prayers as Christ followers. So let's look as in James chapter 5. If you want to be turning there, we're going to pick up with verse 13 of James chapter 5. Pull it up on your smartphone or tablet. 
uh, follow along with us here. James starts out by giving us some specific reasons for prayer. Specific reasons for prayer. In verse 13 he says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. So that's the first reason right there is deliverance from trouble. Any of you ever in trouble in your life? Ever have trouble? Raise your hand if you, if you run into trouble sometimes. Yeah, right. Uh, every hand should go up. We all run into some difficulty, some challenges, some trouble. So he says, what should be your response when you have trouble in your life? Prayer. If you're in trouble, pray. Now, I think we do this, but I think we do it. We treat prayer. I heard, I heard some, uh, another pastor say this. We treat prayer like a spare tire. All right. Only when we have no other choice but to stop and change the tire do we turn to that spare tire, right? Otherwise, we don't think about the spare tire. We don't worry about it. We don't ever check on the condition of it. It's under the trunk somewhere. Uh, it's, it's in there somewhere. We don't know exactly where it is. We're not even sure where the jack is or how to work it. But, but if we're stuck on the side of the road and have no other choice, what will we do? We'll start digging, trying to find the spare tire and the jack so we can repair and keep going. You see, that's how we do with prayer a lot of times. When trouble starts, we don't immediately think of prayer. We start thinking about how can I fix this? What, what can I do? What, what things can I do that will make this okay now? I have a tendency, uh, Sue Ann reminds me of this quite often, I am a fixer. I like to fix things, right? And so she could just casually mention some problem, something that's wrong, uh, without meaning for me to do anything at all about it, and i jump right in immediately trying to fix it. And she just wanted me to listen, right? You guys need to learn this. I'm still working on it, okay? Sometimes they just need you to listen with sympathy and, and, and be concerned. That's all. They, they, want, they don't want you to fix anything, okay? Now, I'm a fixer, so my first response is to try to fix it. And, and sometimes she has to jump in right away and say, no, 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 I didn't mean for you to do that, and, and pull me back, you know. Try to keep me from moving ahead too quickly. So if you have a personality where your tendency is to want to immediately say, I'm going to take care of this myself, and a lot of us have that tendency, men and women, then let's pull back a little bit and say, wait a minute, it's okay. God does want you to take the steps you need to take, but what should you begin with? Prayer. You start with prayer. You don't wait till the end after you've tried everything else and then start praying about it. You pray first. Here's what can happen when you start praying about it. You may realize a couple of things. First of all, you may realize this is not a big deal. Everything's okay after all. And you may also then realize God can speak to you. You see, prayer is two ways. It's you talking to God, but it's also God speaking to you and leading you through his word, through the spirit. He's guiding and directing you. So it may be that in your prayer time, you get some insight and some wisdom that you would not have had had you just jumped in there trying to fix this thing. God's going to give you some good guidance that you need to have on how to respond to this thing. You see, just stopping to pray does a third thing, and that is it causes you to realize that you're not in any of this alone. You have a heavenly Father who loves you so much he gave his son to die for you on the cross. You're not alone in facing any of the trouble, any of the problem that you're facing. And we all need that reminder, don't we? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it's, this is not all on me. 
God's here for me. Remember earlier on in James, he started out early on in our series. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, you should do what? Pray, ask God for it, right? So when you're facing trouble, what's the thing you need most and how you respond? You need wisdom. So where should you start? Prayer. Every single time. Start with prayer. Don't use it like it's a spare tire where if nothing else can fix this, you'll go then to prayer. So deliverance from trouble is a reason, a specific reason for prayer. But then he says, also in verse 13, the second half, he says, Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So joyful praise is another one of those specific reasons for prayer. You say, well, I don't really think of singing as prayer, but I think we need to rethink that. Because if we do it properly, it is being offered to God, isn't it? It's our expression to God. I hear people criticize the modern-day praise courses as if somehow they're not nearly as deep and theologically significant as the old hymns are. Friends, if you really read some of the old hymns, there's some great ones, but there are some that are theologically garbage. They are totally off base, scripturally speaking. They are. You know what you know if you read most of, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of the modern-day praise choruses? I know they're repetitive, but guess what they're repeating? Scripture. Actual Scripture. What? How could you go deeper than that? How, how could you go any deeper than quoting, praying Scripture and praise to God? It doesn't get any deeper than that. We don't think of it that way. Now, there's some deep old hymns, too, and I love some of those old hymns. And I, and I love still, still the, the message in some of those. But don't rule out the fact that if you're repeating Scripture to God, it's getting into your heart and your head, and it's offering praise to God for His Word and His message and His guidance to you in your life. That's a form of prayer. It's a form of praise and prayer. So if you have anything to be thankful for, to be joyous about, what's your response? You, you sing to God about it. You sing to God and offer him praise. Now, he doesn't say you have to sing well, does he? I'm so grateful for that. I am so grateful for that because I don't sing well. But, but God didn't say I'll only accept this if you can hit every note and be on key and all of that and the timing's perfect. He doesn't say any of that. Now, it's great if you can do that and sing well. That's a wonderful thing. I love to hear that. I just can't produce it myself, but it doesn't matter to God. God just wants it being offered to him, the praise to be offered to him. And a great way to do that is through songs of praise. Uh, a good example of that is Acts 16. Uh, it's an example where Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching the gospel and stirring up things in town. And they get arrested and put in jail. And not just put in jail, but now they're in stocks and chains in the inner part of the jail there. Dangerous criminals, these guys, right? Actually preaching Jesus and stirring up people. And so they got them in the inner cells there, all security there. And it says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and doing what? Singing hymns to God. Now that word for hymns doesn't mean our hymns. Okay, our hymns didn't exist then. It just, that word for him means a song offered to God. All right, it's offered to him. That's one way you could think of it. They were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Did God hear their prayers in songs of praise? Was it powerful and effective? Yes. Don't ever underestimate singing songs of praise to God and the power that comes with that. I'm so thankful for our gifted praise team leading us on Sundays, but you don't have to just limit this to that time on Sunday mornings. You can do it anytime you want. In fact, if you prefer Southern gospel or the old hymns or some other style other than what we do, then six and a half days a week, what can you do? You can listen to and sing all of those songs that you enjoy and want to sing all the time. Anytime you want to do it, right? So... Uh, maybe you like Christian rap, then do that all week long, okay? I can assure you I won't be leading Christian rap anytime, but, but it's great, and I love hearing it when it's done well, and there's some good ones out there doing that, right? It's still songs of praise to God, and oftentimes they are quoting Scripture in their Christian rap. You see, the style is not the point. It's the offer of praise that's the point. And you can do that anywhere, anytime. So I can't do it at work. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. In your heart and in your mind, you can do it anywhere, anytime. You can do it as an offer of praise to God. So, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. But he continues, another specific reason for prayer, one that we use more often than the others maybe. Is anyone, verse 14, among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, this is a powerful verse that is often abused and misused for personal reasons and personal gain. And so I want us to think through what this verse is saying to us go a little bit deeper in unpacking what James is telling us here. First of all, when he says, is any among you sick? He's not talking about a sniffle. It's okay to pray to God for a sniffle, but that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here means sick unto death. Serious illness. Okay? This is where you're critically ill. This is not where every time you feel bad, you make the elders come over and pray for you. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? He's talking about those cases where you know if something doesn't happen soon, death would be imminent, okay? Unless God intervenes in a miraculous way. So here he's talking about very serious times of illness here. And then he says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Uh, I just want to remind people of something. When you post a need on Facebook, it does not mean me or any of the other elders are going to see it. So you say, please pray for me on Facebook. That's great. Your family and friends can pray for you. But don't just expect that everybody else that you think ought to be praying for you is going to see that. You see, Facebook has these algorithms where you don't see everything everybody posts all the time. You have to know that. It's one way to communicate, but it certainly cannot be the only way to communicate prayer needs. If you want the church praying for you, the, the ministerial staff praying for you, if you want the elders praying for you, you need to communicate directly to them, one of them or some of them, about your need for prayer. That's the only way they're going to know for sure. 
unless just by coincidence they run into you somewhere and you can tell them about it, right? So make sure that you understand what he's saying here is you specifically go to them and ask them to come and pray for you. Now, the indication is the illness is so severe at this point that you can't go to the elders. You need them to come to you. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar, the elders of the church, we are a church that's patterned after the New Testament. The elders are the overseers of the church, and uh, they give oversight and direction to all the ministries here. I serve as an elder, and we have uh, others that serve as uh, elders here at Lakeshore. And the elders can be called upon when it's a severe situation, and you can't come to them. They can come to you. And pray for you. And we do that here at Lakeshore where if there's a call, somebody asks for the elders to come and pray and we know it's a serious situation, then whoever is available, whoever can do that at the time that we can do it will go and pray for you. And he says, pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So the prayer is not made powerful just because it's the elders. And he says anoint with oil, which is something I want to talk about. But he says... In the name of the Lord, that's where the power is, right? That's where the power is. Now, it's connected to something else, too. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So we want the elders to be mature spiritual uh, leaders in Christ. So, so that's part of what makes the prayers powerful. And the anointing with oil is part of that. But the, the thing that really gives these prayers power is doing it in the name of the Lord. In the name of means by the authority and the power of the Lord. So you're not doing this in the name of Pastor Randy. You're not doing this in the name of the elders or of the name of the church that you belong to. You're doing this in the name of the Lord. Now, there's been a lot of debate over this idea of anointing them with oil. Uh, some people say this is a medicinal instruction because anointing with oil was used for medicinal purposes in that culture. Uh, and I think, yeah, that could be part of what he was talking about there because that is how they applied medicinal uh, treatment a lot of times for people that were sick. It would help sometimes soothe fevers and uh, help heal wounds. There was a lot of benefits to the anointing with oil. We have a big movement today with essential oils where oils, we know the, the ability of oils to be used medicinally to help people. And I think that's a good thing. There, there is value to that. Okay. So it's possible he's talking mainly about the medicinal application of oil. There's another reason that might fit. It's because oftentimes in that culture, it was the spiritual leaders, the elders who were looked to to provide that kind of help and treatment for the people under their care. That was part of their role in caring for them. But some people believe, well, they also had a spiritual ceremonial anointing with oil that they did on special occasions in that culture, too, for, for setting someone apart for a particular service in, 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 the, in the Jewish families and the Jewish faith. They would anoint with oil and set them apart for kings when they were chosen. They would be anointed with oil and set apart to serve in that role, right? There, there were specific ceremonial anointings that were done uh, that, that oil was used for, and most uh, certainly, almost always, it would be olive oil because that was the common oil they used for that kind of treatment uh, and that kind of ceremonial anointing. So here at Lakeshore, here's what we say. doesn't matter which one it is. We'll just be obedient to what he says. Whether it's ceremonial or it's medicinal, if he says, anoint with oil, what are we going to do? Isn't that pretty simple? Let's stop making it so complicated. There's nothing to argue about here. So if someone asks the elders to come and pray and anoint them with oil, we go do that. 
Sometimes they are terribly sick, but able to get to us here, and we'll do it here if they need it done here. But this is not something that's supposed to be an everyday thing. This is talking about severe cases, okay? But we do this. We practice this on a regular basis. And uh, I keep a bottle of olive oil here, and uh, we can always get some if we need it. And uh, for some of you, depending on the size of your head, it may take more than for others, but... Wouldn't take but a little bit for my little bit of head, but, for, you know, whatever. It's not the amount of the oil that matters, right? It's the obedience to taking the action God calls you to take. Because if you're willing to do it the way God says to do it, who does it say you're putting your trust in? God. You do what he says the way he says to do it. Quit arguing about, why do I have to do that? Why is that important? Stop the arguing. It's like baptism. Why argue about it? Just do it, right? He says to do it, so do it. Let's quit the arguing. We make it way too hard, people. It's not that hard. So, he says, do it in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, a lot of people over the years have abused this verse. He says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So, there have been people who, in the name of being a faith healer, have said, you come and I'll pray over you. And if you have enough faith, you will be healed. Now, who are they covering when they say it that way? Themselves. It's all on you. But that's not the way this passage is written. This passage is written with the one doing the praying has to have faith. Right? You see, it's not on the sick person. It's on the one praying to God. Now, that doesn't cover the faith healers very well. If it didn't, if they understood it this way, their biggest place of service would be the hospitals all around the country. They'd just be going in and praying over everybody and saying, well, you would have gotten well, but you didn't have enough faith. Right? That's the excuse they use when somebody doesn't get well when they pray over them. They just didn't have enough faith. That's not what this passage says. And they're just twisting it and abusing it for their own gain. He's saying the person praying for you, saying the prayers, offering the prayers, need to have faith. But I want to clear up another part of this. He's not saying this is a magic formula where every time somebody has faith and prays for the person that's sick, they're going to get well every single time. You see, that phrase in the name of the Lord doesn't just mean by his authority. It also means according to his will. If it happened every single time, how many people would have died throughout history? None that got prayed for, right? None of them would have died. If this was a magic potion that worked every single time, magically, just because you prayed for them, they're going to get well. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying you pray in faith in God's plan and God's purposes and God's will for this person. And God will answer that prayer according to his will and his authority every single time. Does that mean sometimes it's in God's will for someone to die? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. That is allowed in his will for us. We live under the curse of sin and death is a part of that curse. In fact, eventually, if Jesus doesn't come back first, what's going to happen to all of us? We're all going to die. No matter how many faithful people pray for us, eventually what's going to happen? 
we're going to die. So this is not a magic potion, magic spell, that if you just do it right according to the formula, everybody's going to get well every time. That's not what he's saying. So let's stop abusing this, but let's also stop ignoring this. Let's be people who pray in faith in the will of God, in the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let's pray that way every single time. And if it's a situation where the elders need to do it and anointing with oil needs to take place, let's do that. Let's do whatever God's word tells us to do in faith, obediently. And trust God for the answers to our prayers. So, the next thing I want us to see very quickly here is he gives us several prerequisites for effective prayer in this passage. Notice he says in verse 15, and the prayer offered in what? Faith. So faith is one of the prerequisites for effective prayer. If you're going to ask God to do something, you're supposed to believe God can and will do that if it's his will, right? He can do it and he will do it if it's his will. That's what it means to have faith. And that he will answer it in a way that's best. That's what it means to have faith in God. That he's smarter than us. He's got greater wisdom than we do. And we can trust how he's going to answer this. But he is going to answer this. Sometimes the answer is no. And that's, you have to trust that God's will is best when he says no. Sometimes the answer is, I want you to wait a little longer, but wait faithfully in the meantime while you wait. We don't like that answer either, do we? Sometimes the answer is just miraculously everything gets better all at once. And that's great too. We love that one, don't we? We just celebrate that one. But faith in God means you also trust the rest of those situations too. And you hold on to your faith in Him. Hebrews 11.6, the Hebrew author said this, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So he's saying your prayers are worthless if you don't believe God exists and that he answers prayer. If you don't believe that, then you might as well not pray. That's a prerequisite for any prayer to be effective. You've got to believe in God and that he answers prayers For those that come to him who believe in him. You've got to believe that. If you want to have powerful prayers. But he includes something else. As a prerequisite to powerful prayer. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other. So that you may be healed. Sometimes it's hard for us to make the connection. But God's word always makes the connection. Between our relationship with him. Is directly connected to our relationship with each other. You see, he wants us to be in harmony with each other if we want our prayers to be effective. He wants us to have unity and harmony. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The the word picture here is people in a church family who so love and care for each other that we're always trying to pray and help and encourage each other in unity and harmony. We have more powerful prayers individually and collectively as a church when we have that kind of unity, that kind of harmony in the church family. But again, this verse is sometimes abused. And he says, confess your sins to each other. And what some people take that to mean is, if you really want to have powerful, effective prayers, you've got to get up in front of everybody and air your dirty laundry and ask for forgiveness. 
right? That's not what he says here. That's not even what he's approaching in, in this passage. There may be times when public confession needs to happen. If you have done something that has affected the whole church publicly, the reputation of Christ in the church has been, been somehow harmed by something you've done, then yes, maybe a public confession and asking for, for forgiveness may be important. But what he's talking about here is the relationship between others, personally. You go to them, and you talk to them. By the way, social media didn't exist the way it does now, but this principle would apply to social media too. You don't have to post publicly on social media all the dirty laundry in your life or your family's life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if there's conflict, if there's disharmony, if something's gone on that's, that's hard, that's wrong, you go directly to that person. And you ask for forgiveness and try to make reconciliation with that person individually. You don't have to make this a big public show. Uh, uh, by the way, I, I just want to give you a little thing. If you want to post on social media for prayer, don't put unspoken prayers needed. That's not what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, I need you to actually speak prayers for me, but I'm not going to say exactly what it's about. That's what that means. Unspoken prayers means they don't pray. So, so be careful how you word those things, okay? But it's okay to say, you know, we have some struggles going on right now. Would you pray for me? That's great. It's good to ask other people to pray for you. But what he's specifically addressing here is relationships with each other. In Matthew 5, Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount with when you come to offer something to God, right? He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go on social media and post this so everybody can know about it. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, first, go and be reconciled to who? Who are you going to be reconciled to? To the person that you've got the problem with. To the person you've got the conflict with. Go to them, then come and offer your gift. You see, God always connects being right with Him with being right with our brothers and sisters. With, being, with needing forgiveness from God, but also then being willing to forgive your brothers and sisters. He connects those things, always. They're not disconnected. If we want our prayers to be powerful and effective, then we need to try to make things right with people that have something against us, people we may have offended, people that have offended us. We need to try to make resolution there. Now, you can't always get it resolved, but he's saying you take the initiative, you make the effort to get this thing resolved. Don't wait on them to do it. I hear people all the time, Christian people say, well, well, if they want us to be reconciled, they need to come talk to me. Well, God is saying, uh, you go talk to them. That's the way this needs to work. You take the initiative. Well, there's another specification here, and that is, in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So he says, your righteousness is a big deal. Righteousness has so been misused too. Uh, we use the term self-righteous, right? You Christian people, people in church, they're so self-righteous, right? Uh, he's not saying self-righteousness, is he? The word self doesn't even appear there anywhere, does it? 
He uses the term righteousness. That word in its original form means to be right with God. It doesn't mean perfection. It means to be right with God. To be right with God doesn't mean you've never messed up. It means even if you have messed up, you've made it right with God by confessing and repenting and accepting the forgiveness that God offered you. That's where righteousness comes from. It's the righteousness of Christ because God gives us forgiveness through the blood of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Not self-righteousness. It's the righteousness of our Savior. And when we are living righteously in a way that God wants us to live, then our prayers are more powerful and effective prayers. So we have these conditions in Psalm 84, verse 11, a great promise here. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In other words, when you're walking obediently with God, he won't withhold any good thing from you in your life. Now, you have to understand what it means. He's not saying he will make sure you win the lottery because you think that's a good thing, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying he will not withhold any good thing that's good in the eyes of God for you if you walk obediently in his will for your life. That's what he means by that. So let's stop abusing all this stuff and let's start just practicing exactly what God says we need to practice to have a good prayer life. Then he gives us an example real quick. I just want to close with this example. The example of Elijah. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. So in the example of Elijah, he starts with saying Elijah prayed like us. Because sometimes we read about people in Scripture and we read about powerful things that happened when they prayed and we think, yeah, but that's Elijah, right? I mean, that's a prophet of God. And he says, Elijah was just a person like you when he prayed he didn't have any magic pill no magic formula he didn't have any magical powers he was just a human being talking to God that's what prayer is he prayed to God and so what he's emphasizing to us here is this every one of us can pray and have powerful and effective prayers just because we go to God with the prayers it's not because of who we are. It's not because of any special magic formula that we know or incantation that we can say. It's simply because of who God is that powerful things can happen in response to our prayers. And, and again, I want to emphasize, I don't mind you saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? That's a good thing. Would the elders here pray for me? That's a good thing. It's a scriptural thing. But understand that you can go directly to the same God the same way we can and pray yourself. You don't have to go through anybody else to approach God. And that's where so many other church groups over the years have gotten away from Scripture, saying you've got to go to a priest, you've got to go to some special person who will pray on your behalf. No, you don't. You go to God the same way I do, through Christ. And the way that he opened up through his sacrifice on the cross. Now, of course, we ought to pray for each other. And it's good to ask other people to pray for you. But don't think that that means you can't go directly to God yourself. And pray directly to him. So, Elijah was just a human being like us. But it says, verse 17, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. So, another example is he, he was a person just like us, but he prayed earnestly. That word earnestly means Earnestly. It means sincerely. It means 
from deep within his heart. This meant something to him. And the reason I think that's so important is because this is not a bad thing, but early on in life, if you're raised in a Christian family especially, sometimes you learn prayers to recite, don't you? It may be, now I'll lay me down to sleep or whatever it is, right? We learn prayers to recite. And that's a good thing. We're teaching about prayer. Jesus taught a model prayer, right? Uh, and, and he taught them, you know, here's a model, here's an example of how you ought to pray. And, and that's a good thing to start there to learn the elements of prayer, the how to approach God in prayer. The models are good. But here's what happens when you start reciting them word for word over and over again. What happens? It becomes just rote, doesn't it? And sometimes the danger is there's no earnestness to what you're doing. It's not from the heart anymore. It's not from deep within your soul that you're saying these words anymore. That's why I encourage people, maybe start with the models, but then start saying it in your own words, whatever is on your own heart. Just talk to God about those things. You see, he wants us to approach him like a father who loves us, that we can trust, who's wiser than us. And we just talk to him and pour our hearts out to him. And he can hear us and answer our prayers. Now, it's not that he couldn't do it anyway, but he wants us to come to him and acknowledge him as the source of the answers to our prayers, of our needs there. So we need to pray earnestly. It says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And in verse 17, listen to this. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So not only did he pray earnestly, but he prayed consistently. He started out saying, uh, asking God to withhold the rain. And it didn't rain for how long? Three and a half years. So a drought occurred. Now this is during a time where, where God's people had turned to idol worship and, and uh, where there was a wicked king and queen ruling in the area and, and they were turning people away from God. And, and God, uh, Elijah was saying, God, I want you to bring discipline and punishment to what's going on here, to make correction to what's going on here. And so he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Sometimes we think he sat down and prayed one prayer, God, please, please don't let it rain until I asked for rain again and stopped and that was it but that's not how the tense in the scripture is written the tense is he started at one point but this was his continual prayer for three and a half years you see Elijah knew that God could have answered just praying one time and that would be fine but he also knew that that continual acknowledgement that he was dependent on God for this was a good thing for Elijah and it was a good example for the other people to see and to hear that he was consistent in praying to God. So not only was it an earnest prayer, it was a consistent prayer. In verse Thessalonians 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray how? What's that word? Continually give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, some translations say pray without ceasing, right? Pray continually. He's saying, what should be your communication with God? How often should you be doing that? Always. And what is prayer? Communication with God. Talking with God. So if you're going to be praying the way God wants you to pray, do you ever stop the prayers? No. Does the conversation have to end at any point? No. The conversation continues. Now, you say, but I said amen, so that's the end of the prayer. No. <laughs> no, it's not. 
Amen just means so be it. Let God's will be done. That's all that word means. So, so you're not stopping the conversation. You're just saying, all right, I'm going to put a break here that says, all right, God, let your will be done. And then I continue the conversation with God. Again, I just want to remind you, parents, really quickly, with school starting back, I still hear Christians just bemoaning the fact that prayer is taken out of schools. And I want to remind you, prayer can never be removed from school, ever. It is impossible for any government to take prayer out of schools. It has never happened, and it doesn't ever have to happen. Quite frankly, I'm thankful some of the leaders in our schools aren't leading our kids in prayer. Because they don't believe in the God I believe in and the way that I believe in Him. They are theologically way away from where we are and understanding Scripture. I don't want them leading my children or grandchildren or your kids in prayer. But you can sure teach your kids they can pray anywhere, anytime, all the time. See, that comes from us. We shouldn't expect the government to do that for our kids. We should expect parents to do that for their kids. So parents, this is our responsibility to put prayer into the hearts and minds of our kids and they can do it anywhere, anytime. By the way, we do have a lot of Christian teachers that are praying every day too in our classrooms, in our schools. And I'm so thankful for those teachers in our school system today. So we pray earnestly and we pray consistently to God. I want to close with this. Listen, it says, Now to him who is able, Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we all we, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. You see, God, the one we're praying to, has no limit whatsoever to being able to hear and answer our prayers, even beyond anything we could ever imagine in our own hearts and our own minds. That is powerful prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that even now, even now, James has reminded us of something we should have known all along, but it's good to hear it again. And that is prayer is a powerful and effective tool that you've given us as we try to live out our faith every day. In fact, it is impossible for us to rightly live out our faith without prayer. So, Father, right now, we want to come to you in the name of Jesus Christ by his authority. And we ask, Father, on behalf of those here that may need to make a decision to, to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, to, to surrender to his will, to come under his lordship, we pray for them today that, that your spirit has been working through your word and their hearts have been convicted to make that step, take those steps, make that decision to follow Jesus. May we see that today. It may be that there are those here that don't have a church home that they're connected to or are part of. And Father, we know that to live out our faith, we need to be connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of the church. I pray that people would take that step today who need to connect with a local church family. And Father, I pray for those of us that already follow Jesus that are part of our church family, that we would be reinvigorated in our prayer life to, to allow it to be the powerful and effective tool that you have designed it to be for us personally and on behalf of your kingdom, the church. May we be a praying people. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen.